Hello, my friends. I got some questions about a protest in Vancouver that not only supports Vladimir Putin indirectly, but does what the truckers do. They're blocking roads. How do you think the police and Trudeau reacted? Well, spoiler alert, this was an environmental protest, so you can probably guess. I'll show you images from that protest, and I'll show you our latest Rebel News recruit. That's all ahead, but first I would like you to consider subscribing to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this podcast. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month. You get my show every weeknight plus four weekly shows. That's 36 episodes a month. That's a lot of TV for just eight bucks, half the price of Netflix. And the satisfaction of knowing you're helping keep Rebel News strong. We do not take a dime from Trudeau or any other government. It's your $8 a month that keeps us going. That's rebelnewsplus.com. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, what does Justin Trudeau think about a foreign-funded campaign of mischief and vandalism that supports Vladimir Putin? I'll show you. It's August 15th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. I've been covering left-wing protests for decades. I've covered anti-pipeline protests in Vancouver, anti-pipeline protests in Ontario. One of my favorite protests to cover was the Occupy Toronto protest in that city because it was so obviously artificial and fake. If you recall, Occupy Wall Street was a left-wing anti-capitalist movement, but they actually had one good argument. Why were the so-called capitalists of the big banks on Wall Street bailed out by Taxpayers, after the financial crash of 2008, their solution was worse, by the way. They, they wanted socialism, but they had a good question. The fact that one of Wall Street's richest oligarchs, George Soros, was bankrolling the anti-Wall Street thugs was a, was a delicious irony. But in Canada, it was just weird because, as you may recall, not a single Canadian bank failed in the 2008 financial crisis. In fact, it was the unionized automobile sector, Canadian subsidiaries of U.S. mega corporations. They're the ones who got the massive taxpayer funding. But for some reason, the left-wing protesters weren't directed at them. But you must admit it's weird to protest the bailout of failing banks in a country where no banks actually failed. It was fake, fake, fake. Here's some of what I saw at that phony event. Is that you, Dave? I'd like to continue the interview. I'm sure we can yeah, meet yeah, somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. Hey, Dave, have you been charged with criminal proceedings? Dave, are you going to plead guilty? Dave, how many G20 anarchists are here today? Dave, are you the proud face of the environmental movement? Well, that was back when my life was simpler. I was a journalist for the Sun News Network. I wasn't a boss. I was a working journalist. 
Uh, these days, I spend too much time in the office managing the 60 or 70 people who work for Rebel News. So I don't do as much in the field journalism as I used to do or as I'd like to do. My solace is that we have an amazing team that collectively does 10 times more than I ever could do as one person. I mean, just for example, here's the lovely Alexa Lavoie at a protest the other day. Side of the story of the people, but seems like people are not agreeing with that. They say that I should not be there and I'm not welcome, and how I should like I'm able to sleep at night. But I'm just here to ask simple question to them. I didn't like the fact that the protesters were so aggressive towards her, and I'm reminded of our duty to provide security to our journalists—a regrettable duty as Trudeau has normalized hostility towards us by setting an example of having his own personal bodyguards beat us up. What are you doing? Get, it, get off me. Hey, I can... Hey, this is assault. I'm on a side... What is this? I'm on a sidewalk. I'm on a side... What is this? You cannot touch me. No, that can't work. Hey. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? I told you. What is this? You can't. Am I under arrest? Am I under arrest? Am I under arrest? Because otherwise you have no right. I hate watching that. But my point is I've been covered covering oil and gas and pipeline and mining and anti-capitalist protests for almost two decades. That's how old I am. And one of the most eye-opening things for me was that I saw the same professional protesters at each one. I got to know them by name, even. I'd see the same guy at an anti-mining protest, and then at the Occupy Toronto protest. And then the same people were out in Hamilton in an anti-pipeline protest. And then the same people were at an Idle No More protest. Same people. Same leaders. Now, the leaders knew a little bit about what they were doing, but the rent-a-mob did not. Some of them were literally street people who were paid 50 bucks to hold a sign for the day, 50 bucks and a hot lunch. They didn't have a drop of politics in them at all. Some of them were mentally ill people being used as cannon fodder. It's very sad. I remember one young woman, Trish Mills was her name. I still remember her. She, she had a blog about her deep mental illness. It made me extremely sad to read about it and then to see how the environmentalists took advantage of her, egged her on to commit the crimes. She was the one who got charged and convicted and punished while the bosses didn't get themselves in trouble. They literally used marginalized and damaged and mentally ill people as their weapons to commit political crimes for fundraising. It made me sad and mad not just at the environmentalists, but at the media party, who obviously saw the same things I saw, that all these many events were organized by the same professional organizers. None of them were organic. Most of the participants were clueless about their mission. 
They were just doing what they were instructed to do. How different from, oh, say, the truckers. The trucker convoy was authentic, organic, real people. And if you actually stopped to ask any one of them why they were doing what they were doing, oh, they would tell you at great length. No one put them up to it. They had some leaders, but I'd call them more symbolic or spiritual leaders, like Tamara Leach. Yes, there were millions of dollars raised to pay for the truckers, but you'll recall very little, if any of it, actually flowed. They were seized by GoFundMe, then seized by the government. And when that wasn't enough, they actually seized the bank accounts of hundreds of peaceful protesters without court process. So it was the opposite of a bought and paid for campaign. It was penalized and punished. There were endless crimes committed in the shanty towns of Occupy Wall Street and Occupy Toronto. I saw it with my own eyes. The drugs down there, there were weapons, marginalized people, and of course, there was crime, including sexual assault, including rape. Such a light police touch, though, if any. Compare that to the heavy-handed arrest and jailing of Tamara Leach for inciting mischief. <laughs> or literally deploying the Mounties on horseback to stomp peaceful protesters. You'd never see that against George Soros' Occupy Toronto rabble. I wonder why. So I tell you all this to tell you that there's nothing new under the sun. These protesters on the left are and have always been an artificial creation. Black Lives Matter, too, an American phenomenon that is being grafted onto Canada. But we abolished slavery 250 years ago here, or at least the slave trade and soon slavery itself. There was so little slavery here to begin with, actually. There are actually more Canadian slaves who were indigenous people enslaved by other indigenous tribes than there were white slave owners. Did you know that? Did you know that the total black population of Toronto at the time of the slave trade when it was abolished was 16 people? Not 1,600, just 16. We were the good guys in Canada. We were the place that runaway slaves in the United States ran towards we're a place where black lives have always mattered. This is an attempt to graft a foreign grievance narrative onto our own country. Why was Trudeau taking a knee? For what exactly? We abolished the slave trade almost 250 years ago. But here's my news today. I told you all that background to remind you that paid foreign-funded instigators are normal, even if the media party hides it all. But look at this example of another boring left-wing stunt. But it hits a little different this time. Take a look at this. Video. Protesters just poured molasses all over the Gastown steam clock in Vancouver. The new group says plans to block traffic and bridges this week, too. So let me stop there. So vandalism, mischief, more than happened during the entire trucker convoy, by the way. There was a national media meltdown when someone merely put a sign in the hands of that Terry Fox statue. That was called desecration. That was called vandalism because that was literally all they had against the truckers. Here you have vandalism and trespass and mischief and a promise to block roads, including ambulances and fire trucks and people going to work and people picking up their kids, everyone's business. And where's the Emergencies Act? Where are the riot police? Where are the bank account seizures? I'm kidding. That's only for trucker peaceful protesters, not for Justin Trudeau's allies. I'll read a little more. This is from Thursday. A protester climbed up a ladder and 
poured molasses over the Gastown steam clock as part of an anti-fracking demonstration. Stop fracking around! A new civil disobedience group launched its anti-fracking campaign in Vancouver on Wednesday, August 10th, morning just after 10 a.m., pouring molasses over the tourist attraction at the corner of Camby and Water Streets. The group says the thick syrup represents fracked oil, and the demonstration will possibly involve arrests for its nonviolent civil disobedience. Okay, let's stop for a minute and acknowledge how lame this is. How stupid, how pitiful. I mean, it really is the stupidest protest I've ever seen, and I've seen stupid. A timekeeper is pouring molasses on the steam clock. This molasses, sweet-smelling, symbolizes oil and gas, which is not only poisoning this world, there are greater monuments that are scheduled for demolition by oil and gas. Entire communities and ecosystems are at risk by the unbridled oil and gas industry. Canada I'm embarrassed for them, really. Uh, here's a bunch of cops just milling around. Now, let me be clear. I, I don't want jackboots. I don't want police stomping their horses on anyone. I don't want them being shot at. Like Trudeau's cops shot our reporter, Alexa Lavoie. But I think, I don't know, giving these folks a ticket is probably appropriate. Charging them with mischief, making them go to answer before a judge. And maybe that judge would sentence them to 30 hours of cleaning up messes and sweeping up garbage in the Gastown area. That seems proportionate to me. Maybe not even a criminal record, a conditional discharge if they just spend 30 hours cleaning up the streets that they mucked up. That that seems like proportional justice in the public interest, doesn't it? Now, do you really believe that Stop Fracking Around is a new group? Or do you think it's just the same old losers with a new name? Well, the left-wing website that reported this news was happy to include a link to the website of this group, which I clicked on. Uh, and yeah, it's the same old losers. Professional protesters. You can see their contact person, Brent Eichler. Uh, he's a perpetual protester and, you know, frankly, good for him. He seems mainly peaceful. I haven't done a lot of digging. Pouring molasses over a public square, making it gross and dirty. That literally does sound like the definition of the word mischief, right? The same charge that Tamara Leach has spent nearly 50 days in prison for, right? Uh, they talk about Eichler a bit. Activist Brent Eichler, formerly of Extinction Rebellion's Vancouver chapter and the Save Old Growth campaigns, spoke to Vancouver's Awesome from the scene of the protests. We want the people who are flying here from all over the world to see the demonstration, he said. Around 11 a.m., Eichler said roughly 20 Vancouver police officers were at the scene and the demonstrator who climbed the ladder would likely be arrested for refusing to come down. I, I actually don't think that's a crime. Uh, while some of the protesters are Extinction Rebellion members or were part of the Save Old Growth campaign, Eichler underscored that this is a brand new group that is specifically trying to get the Canadian government to end fracking, including the immediate cancellation of the coastal gas link pipeline. So these are foreign-funded activists. I mentioned Extinction Rebellion. That's, that's who this guy is, or some of these supporters are. That's a multi-million dollar UK-based extremist group. Uh, that's not grassroots. Uh, it's funded by billionaires like Eileen Getty. Foreign-funded activists paid to do stupid mischief in Canada. Isn't that what they shut down GoFundMe and Give, Send, Go for when it was the truckers? And this. 
Stop Fracking Round is planning another rally on August 15th at 9 a.m. at City Hall, where they will be joined by members of the Wet'suwet'en First Nation for a larger demonstration that will likely involve blocking, blocking intersections and bridges. And indeed, that happened. Our friend Drea Humphrey was on the scene. She tells me that they did indeed block the roads, and they also swarmed. Drea, well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. When the truckers did that, didn't they seize their bank accounts? When the truckers did that, didn't they declare an emergency? When the truckers did that, didn't they seize, stomp, arrest? So just another wacky day in Vancouver, isn't it? But isn't it a little bit different now? Isn't blocking roads now, even in a stupid way like they do in Vancouver, well, didn't Justin Trudeau and David Lametti and Marco Mendocino said that these are high crimes, tantamount to treason? So Trudeau said, don't we call on the cops? Don't we throw people in prison now? Don't we seize bank accounts now? Now, I don't want it to be that way. This really is just mischief. But there won't be a single ticket issued now, will there be? And what are they protesting? Natural gas. Haven't we learned about natural gas this year, as in Russia's stranglehold on Natural gas supply to Europe not only funds its war on Ukraine, but prevents Germany and other European countries from really doing anything about it. Germany can't put sanctions on Russia. They have to be careful Russia doesn't put sanctions on them by cutting off gas to them. Does Vladimir Putin want natural gas exports from Canada to the world? He does not. These protesters are literally running errands for Vladimir Putin and silence from the media who will denounce anyone and everyone that they don't like as being Russian agents except for the people actually helping Putin here. Another day in Vancouver's paradise. Just the same BS, but it proves nothing they said about the truckers being an economic or criminal threat was true. Nothing they said about their concern about Russia's power was true. It was always just an excuse to attack their political enemies. Hmm. Stay with us for more with the Rebels' newest recruit. I recognize the young lady next to me. She was one of our three terrific journalists who went to the Netherlands to report on the Farmer Rebellion. A few weeks ago, we had our UK reporter, Lewis Brackpool, there, as well as Lincoln J. from here in Toronto. But Katie Davis-Court came all the way from Seattle, Washington, to spend some time with us, did great journalism on the ground. And I am so delighted to announce that Katie is joining Rebel News full-time, based in Seattle, but traveling around the USA and even the world. And today is her first day. So she's here at our Rebel World headquarters to sort of meet the team and say hi to everybody. Great to see you in person. You too. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to join the team. We have a lot of work to do and I can't wait to get started. Well, you have been very courageous. I don't know if all our viewers know, but being in Seattle, you really are at ground zero for the Antifa Wars. Mm -hmm. Seattle, Portland, which is not too far away in Oregon. Those, those are beautiful cities, like they're gorgeous. They're some of the best places to live in terms of natural beauty and economically strong. But there is this disastrous, hard left, violent undercurrent in both of those cities, isn't there? 
There absolutely is. And it's underreported. So when Antifa and Black Lives Matter, the rights of 2020, they overthrew a six block radius of Seattle. It was hardly reported on by our local news in Seattle. And so that's when I kind of started getting my start. I started out as an independent reporter a little bit before the riots started because there wasn't a focus on the desecration of the city of Seattle by the hands of the progressive policies that have been enacted. And I said, why is there only one side being shared? So I went out and I started reporting the other side of the story, like what Rebel News does. And um, it is not being shared. So I'm excited to um, continue my work there. Well, the fact that you had that uh, contrarianism, that you were not afraid to tell the story that the mainstream weren't, is impressive. That's the essential character element to be a rebel. Are you willing to stand apart from the from the crowd? But physically, to film Antifa, I mean, they are by definition violent. They by definition in, in believe in shock tactics. They hide their identities. Um, they have this style, the black walk, where they're indistinguishable. Yes. They all dress in black from head to toe. They are violent. They burnt cities and they would hurt you if they could. Now, you were very wise about how you went about it. But in my mind, it takes a little bit of courage to stand down what is really the brown shirts uh, of our age. Oh, I absolutely agree. And so when I started going out there in the beginning, they would they, they like to attack reporters because they consider people out there with uh, phones as cops. They think that cameras are cops. So they hate the police and uh, reporters go and they don't want their crimes to be filmed. So they, I've actually been attacked by them a few times, not uh, any violent assaults, but they use intimidate, intimidation tactics to silence who they believe um, is their opposition. So not only have they physically assaulted me, but they have come to my apartment and they know where I live. They have slashed my tires multiple times. And they have put flyers of me around my city. They put flyers of my own family members around my city, all to try to intimidate me to not report on their actions. And I just think that it is insane that our city council, the Seattle City Council actually kind of supports them. They are pro Antifa. They are still using the phrase that you know, Antifa is, a, is an anti-fascist group. You know, there's no They're very fascist. If you just look at the definition of that word, they act like fascists. Yeah, they are. Huh. You know, I didn't know all those details. I didn't know about the pamphleting. I didn't know the yeah. slash tires. Now, you're careful and you stand in a place that, but, you know, one of the things that we take pride in here, and I, I talked to this on the phone the other day, is that we provide security for our reporters in, in situations where we think there's a risk. So, you know, you were brave and maybe you were a little bit lucky and, and I don't want to take away your bravery at all, but for you to go out in the world and do the challenging journalism you do, I think it behooves us yeah. uh, to, to give you some physical support because they have no compunction about hitting anyone, let alone hitting a woman. Right. You know, what, what I think the rest of us would re recoil at they see you as an enemy and the ends justify the means. So I think it's important to protect you as we protect our other journalists. Yeah. Um, so you really made a name for yourself in the Pacific Northwest, but you also travel around the United States. Mm -hmm. And tell us, you know, I, I saw your reports, but give me your sense of how it was covering a political movement in another country. I take it that you 
like me don't have a particular connection to the Netherlands. So, you know, the the Dutch language and the politics is as new to you as it is to me. But I think you guys figured it out pretty well and did some good coverage. What was it like out there? Yeah, so it was definitely challenging. And I think for me, the most eye-opening part was how educated the people from the Netherlands are about the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. And they all knew what was happening on a larger scale behind the scenes. If I were to ask people about the Great Reset or the World Economic Forum in the United States, I think hardly anyone would know what they even were. So the fact that that the World Economic Forum is actively imposing these policies on the people uh, the Dutch people, and they are fighting back against it. You got to go, this is going to, this isn't just going to happen in the Netherlands. It's going to be happening on a global scale. So how do you educate the people? And that's why I think it's so important that Rebel News went out there to share this important story. It is, it was definitely a challenging um, experience. I've never reported internationally before. So figuring out leads, who to talk to. Mm -hmm. I know Lewis and Lincoln and I did a great job trying to figure out where the protests were. There wasn't one central location. Yeah, because it was very organic and popping up like whack-a-mole. It was. And so the country's pretty small. So we would be, we would wake up super early, drive to one protest, try to cover it, get a new lead. Let's check this out. It was great. And I think that we all did a great job sharing the story and the documentary that you guys are putting out is excellent, and I think everyone should watch it. Well, I think you guys did do a great job, and the viewers, the viewership, and on um, both on video and even on Twitter, uh, you, Lincoln, and Lewis were almost the only voices in the English language telling the story of the Netherlands around the world. And what's interesting to me is how the government journalists, and there's a lot of government journalists right. in the Netherlands. I, I, I think most journalists there either work directly for the government or are subsidized by the government, you can see how they sort of circled the wagons and said, who are these uh, foreign journalists who are not under the same control that we are? How dare they describe a different narrative in English to the rest of the world? It was fascinating that Dutch journalists were more concerned about your reporting in a different point of view than they were about covering the news itself. I thought that was very telling and very, very scary. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So they would rather uh, report on the foreign reporters than the issues that are facing the Dutch people, which according to polls, it was about 85% are standing with the farmers. So for the media to be against them and not, that that's how I took it. The media seems to be more against the farmers than they are for them. And so when they're against that, they're against the people and they're kind of acting as the political arm of, the prime minister. I think you're right. I mean, one of the conceits of journalists is they speak truth to power. They're the David versus Goliath. They're the Aaron Brockovich taking on the big company. But in reality, I think journalists serve power. And instead of holding the powerful to account, they were trying to hold you to account. They're trying right. to hold the farmers to account, which is an inversion. They're supposed to take on the toughest, biggest, baddest people, but they serve the toughest, biggest, baddest people. It's so upside down. I yeah. like your style. I like the fact that you had high energy. You worked very hard for a solid week. I don't think you took, you know, you, you slept at night, but that was about it. I'm looking forward to you joining the Rebel team. And there's so many adventures that we have in mind already, not just in America, because there's a lot of stories there, but even doing things that we like to do. We have a tradition of going, for example, to the global warming conferences that the United Nations host. Yeah. And 
Uh, our friend Sheila Gunn-Reed has been to almost all of those since our company was born. The next global warming conference by the UN is in Egypt. Wow. Which is going to be interesting because I can tell you right now they're going to be using air conditioning in the desert. Oh, and of I course can tell they you will right be. Now that they'll be flying <laughs> in private jets. So I, I hope you can join our squad going there. There's so many fascinating events around the world. And now that flying is slowly opening up again, right. I think you're going to do some great journalism. So welcome aboard. I can't wait. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're just delighted. And I know our viewers are going to uh, come to wait for your videos every day, just like uh, so many of the, the citizen journalists. And I love the story that you started as a citizen journalist. Yeah. Just doing what the mainstream media wouldn't do. And that is the story of Rebel News. So I think you are, you've been a rebel even longer than you knew. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> well, it's great to have her there. She is Katie Davis Court based in Seattle. She's here in our world headquarters for a couple of days, just meeting the team and seeing how we do things. And you'll see her back out on the streets. That's where the news is. We have lots of opinions. I share them with you nightly here from the studio, but the news is on the street and it's around the world and Katie will help bring it to you. Stay with us. More ahead. Well, everybody, it's great to be back in the chair. I'm always grateful to my friend David Menzies for spotting me off. I was doing a little bit of traveling. You know, I'm taking some time this summer to, to go out and visit some of our Rebel supporters in different cities. As you know, I've sort of been on Trudeau's no-fly list like millions of other Canadians for a year. So I'm I'm slowly getting out and about during the summertime to say hi to folks, even to say hi to my own family. I visited my folks in Calgary the other day. So uh, I'm going to keep doing shows as often as possible this summer, but typically I will miss Friday, which is a great opportunity for other people at Rebel News to have a seat in the chair and try things out, whether it's David Menzies or Sheila Gunn-Reed. Uh, I will be here for some Fridays, but others I am going to try and continue my journey I'm meeting with our strongest supporters in different cities, and uh, hopefully that includes you. That's our show for today. What do you think about Katie? Eh? I'm very excited to have her on the team. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rubber World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom. Sleep easy tonight, Nabisco, Kellogg's, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Hershey's, and Pillsbury. Breathe a sigh of relief, PlayStation, Microsoft, and Apple. Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney+, Plus. You guys are off the hook, too, because the stark rise in lifestyle-related illnesses stemming from childhood obesity and a Western sedentary lifestyle, well, experts say it's not your fault, and it's not your bouncing baby butterball's fault either. It's not the fault of the junk food companies or the lockdowns or tech companies either. If you're fat and if your kids are fat, well, good news, you get to blame it on climate change. My talk at the table is a new study showing how climate change, specifically higher temperatures, is making our children uh, more inactive and more obese. The study published in a journal Temperature found today's children are 30% less aerobically fit than their parents were at their age. Look at this. We'll read it from the Hill, but this story was published in just about every single mainstream media outlet last week for about three insufferable days straight. Warming global temperatures fueled by climate change are making children less physically fit and more obese than ever. A new study has found a less active lifestyle caused by higher temperatures is putting kids at greater risk of suffering from heat-related health problems, including dehydration, heat cramps, heat exhaustion, and heat stroke, according to the study published in the journal 
temperature on Friday. As the world warms, children are the least fit they have ever been. Author Shonda Morrison, an environmental exercise physiologist, what on earth is that, at Slovenia's university said in a statement. I mean, this completely disregards that in the winter, us Canadians, at least anecdotally, get fat because we're forced to stay inside and do nothing just to survive because it's too cold, but okay. However, these sciencey types have been pushing this nonsense since about 2008, that it's just too hot outside for people to be active, which will then prompt them to sit in the basement and eat craft dinner and play video games, which might make sense if you look at the 9 billion people on the face of the earth through a very narrow Western worldview. The Western world is experiencing increasing rates of obesity, but parts of the world where it is much warmer, much, much warmer, they don't have the same obesity and illnesses that sedentary processed food eating Westerners have. It's not climate change, it's lifestyle, but anything to pass the blame away from personal failures and bad choices, I guess. Obesity is the real public health crisis. Now, I said I first saw this idea about obesity being caused by climate change in 2008, but it appears as though about every six months, some self-described reputable medical or scientific organization publishes a study on this and heavy, heavy on the air quotes when I say medical or scientific. For example, this one is from earth.org. Boiled down, it says that since children are getting fatter and since these people have decided that climate change is definitely happening and it's human induced, one must be directly correlated to the other. Probably has absolutely nothing to do with the complete inversion of the food pyramid and all those processed carbohydrates that kids take in out of convenience or necessity these days. And this article from WebMD poses the chicken or the egg question. But again, for this ridiculous topic, you see obesity is going to make climate change worse or will climate change make obesity worse? Or is this just a snake eating its tail and I should probably just get out of its way and let it happen and enjoy the uncomplicated view from over here where I love single use plastics, burning my garbage and eating way too much steak. And let me be clear, I'm not making fun of obese kids or obese people. I feel terrible for them. And I'm angry at the decision makers who led society down this path, damning our young people to an existence inside a body that doesn't do what they need it to do. Society has failed kids on this issue, on many issues. We feed them garbage. We make them lazy. We make them depressed. We make them anxious. We make them shut-ins. And we addicted them to technology, which reinforces all the other problems of depression, anxiety, hermitism, and grabbing garbage food in between video games and Instagram reels. And we did it all the same way we did these last two years. The last two years, we let big pharma influence us. The last 50 years, we let big processed food do it. Big food influenced the government long before big pharma ever did. And boy, is it ever handy for those responsible for all of this mess to have the weather be the scapegoat for what they've done to our kids. For Rebel News, I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed.